Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Show. Well, it was disappointment for Ireland in their second test against the All Blacks. They lost out 21 points to 9 after a brutally physical test match in Dublin. We're delighted to be joined by Eddie O'Sullivan, the former Ireland coach, to discuss all the action. And in this episode, we're going to briefly discuss that controversial performance of the match officials in the Viva Stadium. We'll look at Ireland's use of their huge amount of possession and we'll also discuss a few more technical and tactical issues ahead of the final November test against Australia. Eddie, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. I hate discussing referees in, in such a massive limelight after a big test match, but it has been a huge talking point. Mm -hmm. A lot of controversial incidents, a lot of discussion about it afterwards, a lot of anger amongst Irish fans. What was your, your take on the match official performance? I can see where you know, some of the angst is coming from, but I, I think you have to try and step back a little bit from it. Um, I was completely wrong on Saturday before the game. I said New Zealand's discipline will never be as bad as it was in Chicago. It's <laughs> it just as bad, if not worse. Uh, 14 penalties, two yellow cards, um, and I thought Ireland. There's no way Ireland here could throw another game with four penalties, and they did exactly the same thing. So when you see a referee penalise the opposition 14 times and Ireland four, you got to stop and think. Well, no, is the referee really giving us a hard time? Um, I suppose the other areas around the the controversial, the grounding of the ball um, for Bowden Barris Troy. Um, Certainly, Piper uh, was a little bit unsure, but he went to the TMO. The TMO was pretty adamant he grounded it. And I looked at it again, I think Barrett got it on the grass, you know. And mm. what you have to do in these situations is swap the colour of the jerseys, yeah. you know, and do that exercise in your head that if that was Johnny Sexton diving in and Barrett trying to stop him, I think we'd probably be pretty miffed if we didn't get that try. Yeah. And there's also the fact as well, uh, which didn't come into the discussion on Saturday, is that had for some reason the TMO said it's not a try, he's been held up, I think Johnny Sexton could have had a yellow card for a high tackle Certainly, and yeah. it would have been a penalty try under the post. So I think you've got to take that one, it was a try, I think he got it down. I think he didn't manage his discourse with the TMO was not good because he let it this thing develop where you weren't sure, he wasn't sure. He even said to him, are you sure he grounded it on the grass? Well, there's no other place to ground a rugby ball if you're going to try. So it, it kind of put this in the ether that the referee wasn't sure. And um, I think that set the tone there. The referee had a problem and we, we, were, we were kind of dealing with him. Yeah, there were certainly a few decisions that went in Ireland's favour as well. I think there was a um, bar chipping over their defence. Yeah. Almost hit Israel, da Israel leg for a clear try, but well, a knock on that often brings yellow card. On and, and like he got a scrum for that. Like I would say, ninety-nine times of hundred, there's, that's not a scrum. It's a penalty of some description. Could be a penalty in front of the post. Worst case scenario, could be a penalty try and a yellow card because if that pass sticks, Dag is under the sticks. So they would be fairly aggrieved about that, I can imagine. But that's the. I, I don't think Piper had a great game, but I don't. He was running around trying to do Ireland in. You know, I mean, hard to say on fourteen penalties. I think the the. Um, the, the two yellow cards, I thought one of them was not a yellow card. I thought Aaron Smith really didn't do anything wrong. He came straight through from the back of where the rock was. The, everyone was off their feet. He played the ball with his feet. He didn't play Conor Murray. And he got a yellow card for that. I mean, again, if that was Conor Murray to that, we'd be pretty miffed he got a yellow card for that. Yeah. So I think Piper had a bad game. There's no question. He got a lot of things askew. His whole management of the board and Barra try put it in the air that he wasn't sure and then the yellow card, and it was just a guy who didn't get control of the game. I think he did the right thing with Fakatoa, that was definitely a yellow, probably a red actually, and I think he'll probably get hit for a suspension on that, yeah. it was a high swinging arm. I'll come back to that, but first of all I just want to look at the Robbie Henshaw one. Yeah. There were 
The signing commissioner actually wasn't on site uh, on Saturday's game, he was ill, so his, his, his assistant signing commissioner had to refer incidents to him, and there were 12 incidents referred to the signing commissioner, 11 of those involving New Zealand players, so mm -hmm. there, was, there was that element of foul play. There was, play. An yeah, to it, yeah. there there was, was an and there was, a, there was many incidents that were controversial, only two signings out of it. Sam Kane is one of them. Do you think he's going to get a ban for this? I don't actually, and I think we'll probably jump on my down and scream about it, but I looked at it again in slow motion, and it looks bad in slow motion, but a lot of these things don't look good in slow motion. But the actual impact that knocked out Robbie Henshaw was a head-on-head. -head. It was a head collision. And there's no doubt Kane was a little bit high, and I think that's why he's been brought in to answer. But if you see it in real time, it's lightning quick, and basically Henshaw spins out of the tackle as Kane is coming in, and they clash heads, and Kane's a bit high. I don't think the contact of Kane's shoulder caused the injury. And I think that's where New Zealand have now said they're going to contest that. And I think they're contesting on the basis that it was a clash of heads, an accidental clash of heads, yeah. it wasn't a high tackle. I think they know Fekatoa is in trouble. Now, for us, like to see Robbie Henshaw stretchered off and uh, it looks bad and, and, and it's, it's slightly high, I get all the emotion around it. Uh, but I think had Kane got a red card for that, it would have been dreadfully harsh, dreadfully harsh. He might have got a yellow because of the optics, and he didn't. Yeah. And that probably wasn't sense people. And in light of the of that directive from World Rugby saying let's just clamp everything out around the head, anything that's in contact with yeah. the head or neck, it has to be clamped. But out you of the have head. to as well. And I think <coughs> you know people would say, oh, Hanson would say this after the game. But you've got thirty like incredibly highly charged athletes like running around the field, colliding with each other. Like there's over, I think uh, there's over two hundred tackles in the game last weekend. There's two hundred collisions. They think all of those are going to be perfect and. Because some of them are a little bit high, it's, it's just a natural, fellas change direction, guys coming from different angles. There's going to be mistakes made. And I'm not saying you should say it's okay if it's a mistake, you really have to keep hammering down. But if we get to the point where anything sort of a tackle that's around the shoulders is going to be deemed high and dangerous, we're going to end up finishing games with 12 aside, you know. And, and like, I think they've got to be careful. I know why it's there, I understand the logic in it, but there has to be a bit of common sense as well. I think to be fair, the collision between Kane and Henshaw was a pure accident. It was head on head. And, you know, instead of noise, as nasty as it looked, there was nothing really Kane could do about it except be a tad lower. But at the end of the day, it wasn't his shoulder knocked out, Robbie, it was his head. Yeah. And that's what New Zealand are going to base their defence on. Yeah. Fekatoa is surely going to get banned for this. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. And I think Piper could have gone right at that stage, and Fekatoa couldn't have argued with that. But I think. At that stage, uh, Piper wasn't sure where he was in the game, mm. and he, he backed out of it. And he's the history of doing that. He backed out in Ireland against France, you know, before. So I think that's a, that that was the red yellow card was the minimum. He could have gone red, and I think Fekatoa could have argued about it. Yeah, I just want to ask you about. <coughs> excuse me, I just want to ask you about head coaches dealing with referees after matches, and match officials. Mm. We had a number of goes at trying to get Joe Schmidt yeah. to criticise the referee as, as, as the media tend to do, yeah. but, but he just wouldn't bite. And this is what he said, he said, listen, I need to keep this open rapport yeah. with, the, with these officials. I can't be criticising them every week or, or it'll close off that, that communication line. How did it work with you when you were... Well, I used to go to the trouble of writing a match report after every game, and it was based on what he thought the referee's performance, and it wasn't just about bitching and moaning, it was about saying the things I think he did well and things I wasn't sure about and things I think he didn't need a good job on. I used to send him into the RB and get feedback off them. I, maybe, I don't know how many coaches did that. But I do think that there has to be official channels for this and I think it's right that coaches 
shouldn't be allowed to have a go at the ref after a game. I mean, it doesn't suit the media because it's great press. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, it's not the best time either for a coach to criticise a referee, even if he's frustrated, because you're emotionally charged and you're probably going to say it too much. And the fact they're not allowed is for their, much their own protection as a referee, and I think it's not a bad thing. And there is a way for, for, for Joe Schmidt or Steve Hansen, who feels aggrieved as well, believe it or not, at 14-4 yeah. penalty count. Um, and he told me so after. Like, like he does. He has a way of going back to the, the head of the referees. Uh, Elaine Rolanda's there. He can talk to Elaine Rolanda and say, "Look, this is stuff I wasn't happy with. Let's have a conversation." In the call later day, not much good to the press. Not much good to supporters who want instantaneous, you know, outcomes. But I think it's the right way to do it. Yeah, I think your your opinion on take on it is, is nicely balanced after some of the yes, furor in the last few days. Look, I always do an exercise in my head when I want us to get a penalty or I want them to have a yellow card and I say if the jerseys were a different colour, if you swapped the jerseys, would I be as, as, you know, as emotional about it? And if you are, then you're probably right. But if you say, oh, well, maybe not, then you've got to think twice. It's, it's an exercise we should all do in our head when we're screaming for that penalty. I'll, I'll remember that next time. The key issue here, I guess, in this game, despite all that controversy, is that Ireland had so much possession, so much territory. They had 23 minutes, 47 seconds of time in possession zero tries. That's probably the big issue in this game. What did you see in their attacking game that maybe stopped them from getting those crucial tries that were always going to count against the All Blacks again? Um, I just think the All Black defence was just a different level than it was in Chicago. Um, they dealt much better with the ki our kicking game, um, so we didn't get the opportunities. Their uh, defence of the mall was much better. We didn't get any real traction out of the mall except the rollouts that we probably should have scored on with, with Sean O'Brien. But yeah. by and large, the mall didn't really get us any dividends. Retallic and Whitelock making a big difference. Huge, as we expected it would. But the other thing was, their defensive shape was much, much better. Much more nailed down. And watching the game from up high, you know, watching it on the screen where you don't get the panoramic view, Ireland went through a number, I think I counted about 10 different sets where we had the ball from a set piece, good attack of position, and we were trying to break them down. And by and large, they were completely comfortable in their skin. There was no panic, they weren't short of numbers. They were very balanced, and be, because they were so balanced, they could get off the line and really make big hits, and we saw mm. some huge hits coming in. So the, the shift, the defensive shift they put in, they will see that as win, the winning of the game. They had almost, I think there's nearly 190 tackles or something to make, yeah. just off the charts, because Ireland held onto the ball, which is, what Ireland did fantastically well is they held the ball, but the problem was, with all that position, we couldn't deconstruct the New Zealand defence, and we ended up playing a lot laterally and they were very comfortable and I think that was basically what won the game for them. We won't come, out, come back to that attack further at the pitch but the 22 issues come up again in this game. Mm -hmm. Ireland spent a lot of time in opposition territory, especially the 22, in these big games against the best teams in the world. It's ultra direct, it's ultra physical, you, yep. you have to have massive respect for, the, for some of the ball the carrying. Work, the work rate's off the charts. Yeah. I mean, the Irish work rate's just phenomenal and again having carried the ball an inordinate amount of times, I, I don't have the stat in front of me, but it was off the charts again, amount of collisions we had, and retained the ball 95% of the time, or 97% of the time. It's extraordinary work rate to, to, to deliver that consistency, but our game is based still a lot on winning collisions. Yeah. Now we got a few line breaks during the game. We got a line break off Shawnee O'Brien, we got a line break off Jimmy Heaslip, we got a line break off Van der Flair, who had a phenomenal impact when he came on. But the problem was off those line breaks, and we saw with Sean O'Brien, the one offload we got, yeah. Shawnee O'Brien was held up over the line. That Great was a tackle. try, yeah, fantastic tackle. tackle. But if we could have offloaded from those line breaks, <laughs> we'd have 
or made a pass before contacting with a score, maybe a couple of tries. But the problem is once New Zealand forced a ruck, they were so good at getting back that we had just won maybe 15, 20 metres and to start again in terms of breaking them down. And we weren't good at breaking them down. And you can't depend on a handful of line breaks with that much possession mm. is going to win a game for you against a team like New Zealand. Like when you get it, like even in this image you can see it's quite narrow. That's Rob Carney, the fullback, yeah. about to carry just one out from the ruck. How can they create greater options and variety in that 22? Well, it's funny. We, we, we actually changed a bit. Like if you look at it, when we, we do tend to become uh, very narrow in the opposition 22. That's historically how we've been. And teams that can front up physically, we find it hard to break them down. We've also, the last day, got a bit narrow as well, um, further outfield, but there was actually one set in the first half where we went wide, wide, a bit like Connacht, a complete change in our strategy. We went wide, 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 went over and back four times, and we went absolutely nowhere. So New Zealand, to their credit, had the capacity to adapt defensively as well. They were mirroring us very well. They knew where we were, and we never got those overlaps that we could really. We got a couple out wide the odd time, but you're talking about 10, 15 metres, another rock and start again. Yeah. There was none, whereas when you look at New Zealand, with the limited possession they had, when they held on to the ball, they were eating up 15, 20, 30 metres or four or five phases. We were playing seven, eight, nine phases and maybe eking out five metres. So the dividend for our work was much lower compared to the dividend for their work. I mean, New Zealand traditionally don't have a lot of rocks in the game because generally they score very quickly. Yeah. We're Zero not rock that mentality. Done. Exactly. Th that's interesting you mentioned that, that weight in Ireland's attack, and, and certainly it is encouraging. You see Jamie Heaston and Roy Best even hanging and holding that weight off set yeah. piece. I was interested to ask you about Ireland's decision making about in, in instances like this where they have that backdoor option. Yeah. We spoke about it actually on last week's show. What do these, like, it's great to see forwards being put into positions yeah. where they have to make a decision, but what are the cues they're looking for? Because I just got the sense that Ireland did go wide at times just to go wide rather than. Okay, well, this is all there to go wide. The cue is what happens with these defenders. <coughs> you have you basically got three defenders here, and let's say you, you have an option out the back. There's your option out the back, or maybe even he's here as an inside option. Yeah. But this shape can change a little bit, but the principle is the same. What you're trying to do is get these guys to sit down here, right? And then when you go out the back here, then there's the numbers. Yeah. Like it's five, that's what you're looking for. But what happens is, and New Zealand are very good at this, is for these guys to play, to get those numbers out here, they've got to spread their men here a bit. They can't get locked inside that outside. Here's the fulcrum. He locks everything in here. He locks those guys in here. You've probably out here. If these guys aren't locked in, the guys have then to attack these spaces here. Yeah. And you see New Zealand do that. If, if they don't lock you into this channel, if they see you locked in, they'll go out the back and you're in trouble. If you spread out, they'll just go through you. Yeah. And that's the, that's, the, that's the whole dynamic of that pod running at that midfield, is that they have to make a decision. Can we find a seam here? And if they get a seam here, it can be a guy goes through and offloads to a guy and it's, it's a major it's jailbreak. Mm. But worst case scenario, they get a good, they get a good rock and if that's a quick rock then, you find it very hard to wrap around. You can't wrap around. Get around the corner with the next. For the next. Yeah. You, know, you don't get that wrap around and they do. So that's, that's the key dynamic. So just to summarize it is you've got four attackers here, at, they're threatening this space. And you've got a defender here 
who's really in two minds. He's got to be able to get out here at the same time he's got to be able to defend here. Because there's option out the back. So what New Zealand do is they run at you. And if this player is playing out too far, these spaces appear and they attack through those spaces. Punch in, yeah. They punch in. And then you get an offload and really hurt you. Or worst case scenario, a quick ruck in here, they go around the corner and you can't reload because the ruck's too deep and you get caught. Or if you compress here so they don't see that space, they know there's a very hard gain line here, that's when they go out the back and then you're in big trouble. You've got five against three. Yeah. Like a big part of this game is obviously the, the genius of the All Blacks again. Bowden Barrett had a massive hand in all three games and yeah. while there was all these big giants smashing each other, Bowden Barrett's kind of standing back yeah. doing something magical to, to change the game. One of the instances we only looked at, look at rather, is his try, yeah. a midfield scrum. It seemed like such a simple try and often the best tries do, but it was brilliantly constructed. Yeah. I guess first of all we just want to talk about the actual principles here. Ireland start with three defenders on that left side of their defensive uh, scrum, whereas you only have two New Zealand that's attackers right. out that side. What, what, what's the thinking in doing that? You have, to <coughs> you have to put an extra defender on the left-hand side of the scrum when that left-hand side gets large. Because if, for example, Johnny Sexton were to come over here, then life would be four against four, everything's perfect. The problem is, is that the number eight takes the ball here, holds the flanker, and gives it to the scrum half. And the scrum half running in here now is three on two. And yeah. it's all over. So yeah. every team, well, every team with any bit of common sense always burns a defender over here. All right? And that's usually your 10, or it can be your 12. Now, the problem now with that is, once you put that defender over here, you now are short on this side. You've got four against three. So normally, it's the scrum half who takes the first attacker. Makes up the extra man. The second attacker third attacker, fourth attacker, no problem. Now the problem was that first attacker is Bowden Barrett who is lightning quick. Alright? So what happens is he gets the ball from the scrum half, Aaron Smith, and he attacks really, really flat. Yeah. They almost pass out of the second row, don't they? Yeah, he's almost borderline offside, he's so flat. He's because he'd be five metres back from the back foot. He takes that like a bat out of hell down here. Now what he does is he knows Murray is defending him. Yeah. And he knows that Jarrod Payne doesn't want to defend him. So he runs straight at Payne. Straight at Payne. Payne can't commit because if Payne commits, he releases the ball yeah. and it's an overlap. So Payne is kind of between a rock and a hard place, which is exactly what Barrett wanted. Murray's job now is to get Barrett. And he's trying to do it, but he probably gave himself too much to do against a player of that pace. He got a tad narrow. He should have gone a bit earlier. Now the fact that he went anyway, Payne didn't help him. Payne got upfield slightly and turned his shoulders out. Yeah. Because at some point here, Payne would know that Barrett's not going to pass the ball, he's trying to beat Connor, and Payne would have to go in and assist him. But Payne got himself out of position, and Connor couldn't get to Bowden Barrett, and he went straight through. And Johnny Sexton tracked back, and that's where the big controversy yeah. was. But that's where the play came. They isolated the player being Jarrod Payne, who didn't want to make the tackle because he couldn't. He wants to drift out. They ran at him, and Conor Murray couldn't get there, and Payne couldn't help, and that was that's where the defence cracked. And in terms of leaving earlier, why, why, why can't Conor leave earlier? But well, his worry is that if he goes early here, and he's probably, he can be pulled for offside, but it's one of those ones you get away with, but if he goes early to get to Barrett, then Smith can run down this channel. Simple. But 
what has to happen there is the seven has to take Smith and then he can go. But I think he wasn't sure and he held a little bit long and he held a little bit long against one of the fastest guys in the game in that position. And as I said, when the ball got to Barrett here, he attacked the inside shoulder of Payne. Connor couldn't get to him in time and Payne didn't get his shoulders turned in to make the tackle and they got caught. It's exactly what New Zealand wanted to do. Set it up perfectly, executed it perfectly and scored. Yeah, a joy to watch really, obviously not for Ireland fans, but it's just a simple thing. Anal analysis done well, target is small. It's a, actually a standard play, it's not rocket science. It, yeah. You know, this is the conundrum every defence faces with a scrum in the middle of the field. Yeah. You've got to decide, well we've got to burn a defender to the left, therefore our halfback has to take the first attacker on the right. And it's then how they manage that, how you manage as defence, how they manage as attack. Some teams don't have the skill set, the timing, the speed to get that off. Other teams are smarter maybe that they cheat a bit or the outside defender as here is in pain, doesn't get turned away so we can't help Conor Murray. Okay. I think pain, you know, is responsible as well, therefore not be able to assist Murray in the tackle. Okay, really interesting. Lots for Ireland to improve and certainly the Wallabies are going to pose another attacking threat. In terms of what they're going to, what Ireland are going to do now, they've potential injuries for Sexton, obviously Henshaw's head, Stander, Rob Carney also had HIAs. Do you envision much change there or would you like to see Ireland make a, a bit of personnel change and, and freshen things up for that game? Um, not really, because I, I think he's entitled to put his best team out again. I know he'll be compromised with injuries, but I mean it's Australia coming to town, and you know again it's a, it's a tier one Salamis for nation. And the notion we go out and we we'll, we'll, we'll just run run a, a kind of a second string and, and see what happens in terms of development. You can do that, and there'd be value in it. Like you guys again exposed at that level. But the chance of beating Australia then will drop. Like I think the standard thing, I'm, uh, I'm not that worried. Van der Flyer was off the charts. Peter O'Manning can come back in. I think our back row is so much depth. I think Jackson probably wouldn't, wouldn't have any problem in that game. He's three tests under his belt in South Africa. Um, outside of that, I think unless he's forced, and he will be probably now with, uh, I think Robbie Henshaw will unlikely pass the concussion test after being knocked out. So his hand will be forced on ring rows. Um, Rob Kearney, I don't know. You know, now the option before Rob Kearney was to put Jarrod Payne back there and put Ringrose in, but Ringrose kind of went in already. So you're going to be going to need Rob Kearney back there, and he may be had his hand may be forced to go to Zebo and bring another wing. I think the other changes he'll make if he has to, um, and it'll still be a very good Ireland team. But I think that's probably as much as a change he wants to make at this yeah. stage. Tierno Hallen under possibility maybe at 15, but yep. in terms of what what Ireland need to do in this game maybe tactically or in terms of what they're doing with the ball, what, what do you need to see from them to consider this series a success? Um, I think defensively we're, we're going to be challenged differently by Australia. Australia are back to the old days, which I think is the influence of Stephen Larkham, of scoring tries off first phase. They're cracking teams wide open off set pieces and that's Larkham's influence on that team. Like, no shot, like yeah, I'm just guessing that, but this is, this is his guy's MO. Yeah, he's, a, he's an incredibly smart uh, rugby brain. In terms of uh, us, I'd like to see us uh, construct a couple of scores. From We start with a line-out, 40 metres out, seven, eight phases later we score because we have deconstructed the defence. And we, like, it's one thing deconstructing the defence. Another thing if Josh Van der Flyer or Shawnee O'Brien runs over in Australia and gets a 15 metre line break and we score off that. That's great and that should happen as well, but to deconstruct the team, like, and we saw Barrett score from a set piece. We've done that before. Ireland have scored from set pieces. But like to break down the opposition of eight, ten, or twelve phases and score. 
I'd like to see us moving on to that place because against the top teams, you won't get a lot of those kind of beachhead positions, I call them, where we're now going to try and score here. Uh, we'll take them through the phases and finish them. You won't get many of them. You might get six, seven or eight in a game if you're lucky. You'd be hoping you might get two tries out of that. That's a 25% return. That's not bad. Um, but you need to construct those tries. And sometimes you'll do it and you lose the ball or a knock-on or you'll turn over a ruck after making 40 or 50 metres. That'll happen. But I, at the moment, I don't see us constructing teams and taking them 40, 50 metres of field off-face play without running over them. Let's see if we can do it uh, in, I suppose, a more sleight-of-hand fashion. Yeah, I think Joe Schmidt would definitely agree with you. Eddie, thanks so much for coming in and joining us. Great insight. Thanks so much for everyone for watching, and we'll catch you next week to reflect on Ireland's final November test.